it's another week, so that means it's another episode of Lonely Town and Killers podcast with Jimmy and Derek. This week, we got a special guest with us. Uh, all of our guests are special, but this is a personal uh, good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Alan, is it Alan Larson. Yeah, you got it. I remember your last name. I just remember Alan and Bridgewater. Yeah, so, yeah, you could call me Alan Bridgewater. That works. Alan Bridgewater, but uh, a long time. He's uh, Alan's probably my favorite coworker that I never actually worked with. So. Yep. So, uh, but we're going to be sitting here talking a little bit about killers, a little bit about Lonely Town and uh, Utah. I guess let's just ha- have a little introduction, Alan. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, just kind of how you got into, I mean, your musical, your your uh, upbringing, all that kind of stuff. And then we'll, we'll uh, loop around to killers and, and see where we go from there. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, I grew up in a super, super, super musical family, at least on my dad's side. Uh, it like goes back he was a musician his dad's dad uh his dad was a musician you know like a teacher at a school and played in jazz bands all around the bay area um so like i got music all through my family um so i have a vivid memory of like i was like it's one of my earliest memories like four years old i'm like freaking out doing somersaults in the living room listening to twist and shout by the beatles uh so like music was just always on always around uh growing up um so when i was in like middle school high school learned how to play guitar of course got super into pop punk emo even though i hated the term emo at the time uh this was like early 2000s and yeah like i i started i played in a couple bands never really got along with too many guys uh played in this really terrible band after i moved to utah uh in 2007 and uh man we were so bad uh, we were called We Are Poets, and the guys were based at a Spanish Fork, and oh, uh, what's that other town down by Spanish Fork? Doesn't matter. Anyway, we pl- we practiced in a bomb shelter that our guitarist parents had built in their house, <laughs> uh, and uh, that's part of my hearing loss for sure. Uh, in as I go into my thirties, but yeah, I lived in Utah from 2007 to 2017 going to shows all the time you know had friends in a couple different bands shout out to problem daughter and yeah moved out of utah about five years ago and have kind of been bouncing around and right now i'm in the bay so originally from seattle as well that's another one that we have there yes uh, exactly when did you become a fan of the killers and uh what are some of your your memories about i guess early killers stuff yeah, absolutely. It's it was nice uh, kind of thinking about coming on to talk to you guys today because I got to go back to 2002-2003. Like the Killers, you know, they'd blown up in the UK, right? Uh but like hadn't gotten a ton of traction in the US and then somebody told me it'd come out uh here and like start getting some attention. So I was living in Seattle at the time and I was in high school and I was super, super into somebody told me. And the Killers played at Numo's in downtown Seattle before they had released Hot Fuss. So I went with my sister and uh, this is like OG Killers, like Brandon Flowers had like the Beatles mop top haircut still, like nothing flashy, nothing fancy. This was well before he got his, you know, bedazzled decked out keyboard that he played, you know, in arenas and that kind of thing. And I mean, Oh, that show is amazing. Like, Numos was already a really good venue to see, like, super tiny to see bands in. But then, like, I just remember 
every song was just a banger. And I remember when they played all these things that I've done, you know, I didn't really know the other songs that like hadn't been released yet because I had a terrible internet connection and hadn't discovered LimeWire yet. And so like they're playing all these things that I've done. And when they get to the, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier part. I remember this group of guys just front and center, just fist pumping, just screaming it back at the band. And I was just like, you know, I mean, I was 13, 14 and I was just completely obsessed. So that year, 2003, I ended up seeing them three times. That was the first time. Then they played Bumbershoot, which is in uh, Seattle Center, just like in the shadow of the Space Needle. And this is my favorite killer story, personally, where, uh, so I'm an awkward teenager. Uh, I'm going through all my hormonal changes. I got pimples all over my face, of course. This is relevant to the story, I promise. So earlier that day at Bumbershoot, I had this big old pimple on my nose, like front and center, that I had just tried to get rid of with horrible, horrible results. I had basically just an open wound on my nose. So I'd gone into the bathroom at one point during Bumbershoot and stuck a piece of toilet paper as though I had like cut myself shaving, you know, so I could absorb the blood and then would hopefully manage what was going on. But then I just had a blood-soaked piece of toilet paper sitting on the bridge of my nose. Anyway, so I see all these different, you know, artists at Bumbershoot. It's, like, super, super, super fun. Uh, and the Killers uh, played in this, like, indoor space at Bumbershoot. And I just remember being so shocked that this band that I'd seen, like, 100 people uh, go to their show at Numo's a couple months ago suddenly was fully packed in this probably 500-cap room uh at Bumbershoot so that was bonkers but then I'd also gotten a wristband to meet the band and have them sign some stuff so after they played I get in line and you know we're going through and they're kind of set up in a row all, all the four band members so I go down the line hey how's it going yeah good to meet you hey how's it going yeah good to meet you I get to the drummer and he immediately goes what's on your nose <laughs> and I was like Nothing. Could not acknowledge it. Was absolutely not going to have that conversation. Would have been better to just say, uh, I'm dumb and I destroyed my face. But instead, I was like, nothing. He's like, yeah, there, there's definitely something on your nose. I was like, mm -mm, mm -mm. and I just moved along. I just went down the line. Hi, Brandon Flowers. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay. Bye forever. I will never, ever see you guys again. So, yeah that's that's the one time i got to meet the killers <laughs> yeah that's probably something they remember the, the kid with uh the white uh whatever on his nose that would not acknowledge it huh uh-huh the kid with the, the open wound on the bridge of his nose so what was the third what was the third time you went again even though you had an embarrassing moment uh-huh yep i went the third time because it was an arena show and i knew i wouldn't meet them <laughs> um <laughs> i had safe distance uh so this was uh, at the end of 2003, and they played the key arena. They played the Deck the Hall Ball, which I'm sure Derek might be aware of. Uh, the alternative radio station in Seattle, 1077 The End, was all I listened to back in the day. And they put on this, you know, kind of Christmas concert uh, at the arena, and the Killers played. So, like, again, the progression throughout this year is, it, it remains, like, one of my sort of fascinating like experiences watching a band go from super tiny to just 
massive uh, in a very short amount of time. Because that first show at Numos, then that second show at Bumbershoot, and then finally this third show, when they come out, there is an arena full of people screaming for them. And their aesthetic had changed drastically. They went from these kind of geeky looking dudes just kind of playing, you know, indie pop music to like Brandon Flowers comes out in full eyeliner. He's got his hair done. And suddenly that basic black keyboard that he'd been playing was big, bedazzled, shiny, super fancy. And I was like, oh, they're on a different level. Great show. Super fun. But uh that is the last time I saw the Killers. <laughs> was the end of two thousand three. Yeah. That, that was all the same year, though. So you saw them three times. All the same. The same year. That's right. Yep. From uh, from beginning to uh, headliner of a major arena. Not not too That's many right. bands can probably pull that one off. Mm-mm. So have you uh, have you kept up with them since then, or was that just kind of you got into them and moved along? Well, so so Hot Fuss obviously like had taken over my life. Um, I listened to it absolutely nonstop uh on my you know walkman cd player with the skip protection you know 45 second skip protection very fancy um but don't turn it sideways uh you know because it'll ruin everything so like hot fuss had taken over my life and then i remember you know super 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 uh, anticipating samstown uh and samstown came out well they released when we were young and i was like cool two albums in a row let's go um and then honestly, like Samstown, I, I liked it, but like it, it didn't have that same connection to me. And after that, I completely dropped off until the newest album, until Pressure Machine. So what about Pressure Machine got you back interested? Ah, well, it's funny because the Killers, because of that initial like obsession that I had with them, like... I always would check out new singles just to see if they had gotten back to something that I enjoyed. Um, So every album cycle, every time they'd release something, I would listen and I'd be like, not for me. Guess I'll skip this album. And then Pressure Machine, I can't even remember. I listened to the singles they were releasing and and it just... it was absolutely something I was interested in and, and knowing the story behind it, right? Like coming from living 10 years in Utah and having friends like you, Derek in from Nephi and like, you know, I dated someone from Nephi. Like I, I've been there many times and that added this like other layer of familiarity that like led me to actually check out an album that honestly I I might not have checked out otherwise. So when we first, started doing the podcast we were talking back and forth a little bit and uh, i think you listened to a few shows and and some things but you said you had a different perspective uh than where me and jimmy were coming from and i i want to hear that i want everyone listening to get that different side because we want everybody to get a full understanding we're obviously biased we grew up there we have our our feelings about nephi utah the church the culture all that kind of thing you got some different feelings some different thoughts and uh I'm interested in hearing it. So, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, it is funny when I texted you a couple months ago, you know, I was still drinking at the time. So my, my feelings were coming out in a very big way that uh, don't come out in quite the same way now that I'm sober, thankfully. Um, But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, when I, just for a little bit of context, when Derek and I, you know, when, when we would hang out, you know, at work, 
I was very much in the like left the church just a couple of years ago and just like I was ready to fight all the time. And I took that attitude across like like everywhere with me in Utah. Like I I spent years in Utah just raging against the machine, so to speak, you know. And so it it it's interesting to kind of like listen to an album like Pressure Machine now in my 30s when like I don't I don't engage in that same way. I don't have that same like anger or vitriol behind like the discussions I have. I I don't even engage in the type of discussions uh that I used to, you know. So I I think I I'm of a couple minds. Um I think it's really interesting and cool to have like a band as big as the killers. And I'm sure this is just like broken record for all the episodes you guys released at this point. But I think it's really cool for a band like the killers to hone in on a town like Nephi, but it, it, it it's, it's very specific, but also is like widely applicable to sort of like these general humanist concepts, right? Like it's, it's like isolated and yet extremely connected because it's a very small town, right? So not a whole lot going on, but the things that are going on are very important. And it's, and you can tell that like with the stories that he tells throughout the album, right? Like these are like big stories and there's heavy things that are happening, right? So, you know, I don't have that like as deep of a personal connection to Nephi as you guys do, but it reminds me what I love or what I loved about Utah. And like, <laughs> I've said this before, like, I, I will defend Utah till the day I die. Like and any conversation when people talk crap about Utah, I am right there. Like, I'm like, no, 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 no. You have no idea what you're talking about. And so like, it's really nice to have this like album, like added to that lexicon, like added to that conversation of like, you can think whatever you want, but like these stories are from a guy who lived there and like real people right so anyway i i don't know if that kind of answers your question but like just sort of mulling over and you know when i was listening to the album last year when it came out and then kind of listening to it over the last few months um it it provides this weird sense of like bittersweet comfort you know because there's a lot of like there's a lot of baggage i still hold with utah you know there's a lot of baggage i still hold with the church you know, I don't want to be involved at all in anything church related, but it's also a type of home for me, you know? Yeah. What would you, uh, so we have listeners all over the world and it's kind of interesting the things they cue in on or that they're, they're curious about uh, somebody that hasn't been around Utah or they've read about the church. They've read probably a lot of weird, weird stuff about the church or, you know, whatever comes out that way. As somebody that's been able to step away a little bit, but like you just said, would defend it to your dying day, the state anyways. What What's some things that you would tell them that might kind of surprise them or kind of your relationship has been uh, with the culture or just something that would let them know, besides this record, um, something they might find interesting or, or, or care about? Mm, yeah, well, <laughs> I immediately thought of like the title of the record again. Forgive me if I'm retreading old things from previous episodes, but I immediately thought of the title of the record, Pressure Machine. My conception of Utah is, it, it's straight out of a line from SLC Punk, the movie, uh, where it's like, you know, oppression breeds rebellion. 
And like that absolutely was my experience in Utah, moving there after I left the church and seeing like the intensity with which these alternative groups outside of the dominant religion, outside of the dominant culture spring up and bond together. My friend group that I had the whole 10 years I lived there, we were, I mean, dysfunctional to the core, but we were bonded by the fact that we were othered, you know? And so I actually think that's one of Utah's big strengths. And I know Utah's evolving a ton, um, but like, that's one of the things I loved is that there was this sense of common purpose. And so beyond even just like the fact that Utah is a geographically gorgeous place and one apartment that I lived in, I could literally walk out and be up a canyon in 15 minutes when I lived uh, downtown in Salt Lake City. But culturally, it makes for these sort of the pressure that's put down from the dominate, dominant culture, the dominant religion, the dominant ideas of sort of society in Utah. It does create this pressure cooker for explosive and very interesting and very exciting expressions. And uh, I mean, looping it back around to the album, that's literally what we have here. Like this album is a result of that, at least in part, you know. You've also been involved in the in the music scene. Um, you said you were in a band, but uh, I think you're kind of modest there. You, you put out your own album. Uh, you played quite a few shows. You played a, a lot of uh, shows around BYU, which is uh, really uh, a Mormon <laughs> LDS based place to be. Um, our, our viewers can't see you, but you're not stereotypical of BYU look with, uh, you got tattoos, piercings, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, one, how did you get started into that? And two, how, how were you received there? And, uh, how did you, how did you start that blend, I guess, to, to yeah. play in a place where most people would look at you and say, you don't fit in here. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, in terms of like the playing in the music scene, it kind of relates to what I was just talking about, you know? I knew people who worked at Hot Topic in the mall and they knew people who were at the venues uh, specifically in like Provo. And so Muse Music right there on University and Valor. And I don't even know if these two places are still there. I think Valor is, but I think Muse shut down. Yeah, years ago. But Muse Music has a special place in my heart. I played there a bunch. And so it was kind of just getting in touch with you know, this person knows this person who's in a band and this person needs an opener and this person's trying to start their own venue. My my album release show was at this just awful, forgive me if anyone hears this, I doubt they will, but awful pop-up venue that a friend had started or was trying to get off the ground that was like a couple doors down from Muse Music. And I mean, I think it shuttered after a few months. Um, it was a very sad album release party. I don't know if you were there, Derek. Can't remember. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I was there or not. I definitely got the album, but I don't remember if I was there or not. <laughs> yeah, sure. But uh, but no, I I just for you know a little a little history. Like I had I had started with that band, like I mentioned, played around, gotten to know the venues, gotten to know kind of the area, and gotten to know a few more people in the scene. Um, and then when that band, when I left that band, um, I was just like, I'm just gonna do my own thing, and I was playing pretty much exclusively acoustic guitar at that point um and so i just i had songs i'd written in high school and i just kept writing songs and after a couple years i 
I wanted to just go through the exercise of putting together an album, like zero expectation. Let's just like see what this looks like. I spent a summer at my friend's house in, in uh, Spanish Fork going there after work and recording in his house, recording vocals in his little makeshift vocal booth and makeshift, you know, basically the equivalent of like egg cartons on the wall, you know, for soundproofing and that kind of thing. Uh, and he was in music production uh, at Utah Valley University at the time. And so, you know, went through this whole process. I recorded some songs that I had just written after a breakup that had just happened. And then I recorded other songs I'd written when I was like 16 that somehow still felt relevant to me at, you know, 21. And yeah, you know, I, I never, I don't feel like I ever got far. I also didn't commit myself to it completely. but. I did consistently play shows even after I moved to Salt Lake City, you know, I I got the chance to open up for a couple artists like the lead singer of a pop punk band that I love called Valencia. Um, his name's Shane Henderson. He he came through Salt Lake City, played at the loading dock. I knew a promoter that knew him and she asked me if I wanted to open the show. So I jumped on and opened the show. You know, I, I did get a couple opportunities like that, that like are I, I I hold as cherished memories. You know, there were all of maybe five people at that show after I played. Uh, and But it was just a great time. You know, all the shows were small. All the shows were fun. And, you know, my, my style was kind of always like kind of weird because I was playing like singer-songwriter. Like I was writing singer-songwriter songs, but playing like I wanted to be in a pop punk band because I'm like a pop punk kid at heart. And so it just... I, I feel like I've always been kind of a weird mishmash of different styles, you know. Is your music available to purchase anywhere? And is any of it still around? Good I mean, question. The internet exists, so it's got to be somewhere, right? <laughs> I mean, how do we how do we tune into what you created? I I I hesitate to promote this, but I will. Uh, just because that album that album is a very specific period in time, and full disclosure, some of those songs I listen back to, and I'm like, that's problematic as hell, man. You probably should have uh, learned a few things before you wrote that song, but yes, it, it I'll, that those older songs are still available. I've written a ton and ton, a ton more in the last ten years since I released the album, but it's on Bandcamp. I can drop the link to you guys later. Um, but it, it's under Bridgewater, and then I'm also I haven't updated in over a year. But I'm also on Instagram, Bridgewater Music. Um, so yeah, people can find me on, on Instagram. It's mostly covers. There's some originals, but yeah, it, it exists <laughs> for better or worse. Are you still playing any shows or doing anything like that? Funny. I actually performed for the first time in almost four years last Saturday uh, at an open mic. And that was uh, very interesting. I, I didn't have the guts to do an original song. Uh, so I just quickly learned a Lewis Capaldi song and covered it because it was in my vocal range. So I was going to ask you, you grew up in Seattle. Seattle's known for having a pretty good music scene. I mean, going back to the to the 90s, especially, but before that you had Heart and other bands and still contemporary a lot of good music. Uh, you came to Utah, and at that point, uh, Utah kind of blew up a little bit with bands and stuff coming out. Now you're in the Bay Area. Bay Area is known for a lot of good music. What is it about these places that produce these kind of artists and things, in your opinion, or, or how... I don't know how to word this specifically, but it seems like you've been able to see a lot of different scenes and see, uh, I mean, people reach success, like you're saying with the killers from, from nothing to, to doing an arena show. Uh, then with floor and stuff, I'm sure you, you saw a lot of people come that kind of got bigger as well. 
I guess what what's the magic sauce that that produces uh, good music? Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it's it's you know those different scenes you identified: Seattle, Utah, and then the Bay. I, I won't speak to the Bay just because I've only been here a couple of years, and it's during COVID times, so my exposure has been limited. But focusing on Seattle and uh, Salt Lake City, you know, it's this weird combination of societal pressures, cultural influence. And where that geographic space is at, at its point in time, right? So like Seattle, for example, it's perfectly positioned where at that time it was still remote, kind of. It hadn't been invaded by, you know, the big tech companies yet, uh, hadn't changed into what it is now. And it was still kind of this quirky, like weird place where people kind of went and did like weird hippie stuff. And it was the perfect place to respond to the bombastic nature of the eighties. Right. So you had all your hair metal stuff come through and all the grunge, all the punk up there was like, uh, screw that. Like, no, thank you. And it was interesting going. So I went to high school, like I said, in the early two thousands and we had the echoes of grunge. Like it had very much moved on. Um, but it was like still very much a rite of passage to engage with that grunge uh, culture and engage with that music. I mean, I I cannot tell you the amount of my life that I spent listening to Alice in Chains, Mud Honey, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, uh, you know, <laughs> just anything and everything. And it was still on heavy, heavy rotation uh, on alternative uh, radio, too. And uh, I remember being shocked when Man in the Box by Alice in Chains wasn't edited on 107.7 The End in Seattle. That was, I used to, I used to uh, listen to it with my mom in the car and just be like, please don't notice, please don't notice. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, so there's these like weird sort of cultural like elements that come in together and make a reaction. And so that's, that's Seattle. I, I remember vividly the day I was sitting in whatever class and I got to go through In Utero by Nirvana top to bottom. And literally that day is in my head every time I listen to that album 20 years later, you know, like it, it somehow infects the culture in such a way that it leaves this like indelible reverberating mark. Um, even, you know, even though I was going to high school 10 years after Kurt Cobain killed himself or was murdered, depending on who you talk to. So, you know, there's that when it comes to Seattle, but then Utah, like going back to what I said earlier about sort of that pressure cooker of, you know, this really, I would say oppressive, or some would say dominant cultural and, you know, religious influence over Utah. It created these interesting explosions of expression and, you know, the used is an easy one to point to coming out of Orem where, you know, they just perfectly hit with this emo, uh, and I mean early 2000s emo, not the other million different iterations of emo that we've seen throughout the last 20, 30 years, but that specific emo um, alternative sort of movement, like it was catchy, like it was melodic and also deeply passionate, deeply intense. And I resonate with that. Like I specifically think of the Utah music scene um, as sort of, I knew plenty of different artists that, that kind of didn't go anywhere because you kind of could tell they didn't really give a crap. Right. 
but the ones that blew out were the ones that really really cared i mean even neon trees not the same as the used but neon trees are such performers like i i was lucky enough to hang out with tyler glenn back before i moved out of utah for a weird summer and you know it was just very clear to me that he was just all in <laughs> you know on what he was doing so it's kind of in, it's kind of this weird mishmash to kind of loop back around in my long-winded answer to your question derek it's this weird mishmash of all these different like right time right place right societal elements right people and what is gonna kind of explode out of that you know in an artistic way how does what you saw when you lived in utah compare with the other places you lived as far as just uh, musical talent or musical ability. Yeah, no, you bring up a really good point. Culturally speaking, music is huge in the Mormon church, right? And I mean, I look at like my extended family that lived, uh, that lives in uh, Utah County still, and it was mandatory in their family. Every child was going to learn an instrument. And, you know, I remember my cousin who's about my age, finally finally convincing his parents to let him switch from jazz saxophone to electric guitar and it was a very hard sell but so there's already this baseline of no matter what you believe no matter what the culture is saturated in utah with music with musical emphasis and 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 out of that you're going to find someone a bunch of people who click with it you're going to find the talent by sheer numbers right when there is that much emphasis in the culture on music and on playing music and learning music and learning that expression whether it be in a devotional sense or whether uh, it be in some other context that's going to come out and if you have these weirdos like brandon or like the used or like all, any of those other bands we've been discussing then you have this baseline understanding of musical expression in more of a classical or again a religious sort of sense and then you get just a little tweak and it sets them off in this other direction and i think that is so cool i do think that is at least in my experience what makes utah unique because it has almost this this musical foundation that's built on big heavy philosophical religious concepts it's it's sort of modern classical you know and and then there are these other avenues for people to take that background and take that sort of baseline and then use it in these uh you know whether it be pop punk or emo or you know just like whatever that you would call the killers are doing now uh and kind of go in these different directions I, you're right like that that talent the ability needs to be there but also it's this sort of conceptual framework of understanding like where you came from and where you're going how has the, <clears throat> the way your music tastes have changed impacted the, the way you consume the killers music no i mean the concept behind the album is you know what opened the door for me obviously but i wouldn't say that the album appealed to me because my music taste had shifted toward that style rather the killers made an album more in line with my musical taste. I, I would have liked this album 15 years ago. Um, I I've, I've always really enjoyed sort of sonically, um, you know, this type of storytelling singer songwritery kind of that kind of thing. Uh, you know, big, big country chords. The, the issue that I had with the other albums, number one, I was much more judgmental 
of music. I used to draw hard, hard lines in every aspect of my life, as we've already touched on, but especially with music because of how important music is to me. And so I would be like, nope, that band, dead forever. One bad album, horrible. That one line in this one song pissed me off one day. Absolutely not. And I kind of did that like with the killers. And 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 it's a very much reflection of, you know, my own sort of mental state is uh, but I loved you and you let me down. <laughs> Therefore I reject you, which is just as a 32-year-old, just highly problematic. And I'm I'm working on it. I'm in therapy. But overall, like I mean, I'm I'm looking at the track list and I remember when I when I looked at the release notes, seeing that they'd done a song with Phoebe, Phoebe Bridgers, I was like, oh, well, at the very least, I'm listening to one song on this album, even if I don't like the rest. Right. And so, you know, you talk about how my music taste may have changed. Again, I don't know that it's changed so much as there's this prevailing sort of really interesting subset of music Phoebe Bridgers, Lucy Dacus, Julian Baker, like all these different sort of artists that all are kind of doing this really interesting, weird twist on classic singer-songwriter vibes. And and I I, I feel that. Like there's elements of almost like old outlaw country where they're talking about really messed up stuff, you know, but then they're doing it in a really beautiful way. And so like... Uh, again, I, Phoebe Bridgers does that all the time, and uh, she, she perfectly fits in with the uh, thematic elements of this album. And like, I just, I just remember the first time listening to it. I was on a walk with my dog, and it was here in the bay, and the sun was setting. And it just—it's a sunset album to me. It just feels like. It feels like golden hour, the whole thing. You know, it's like 45 minutes of of sepia-toned nostalgia. But like, you know, when you look at those old pictures and you remember sort of the rest of the day in addition to the smiling moment, and it's like not all good. <laughs> like, that's kind of how I would encapsulate my relationship to this album, you know? You uh, you plan on going and seeing the Killers again, or is that boat sailed now with this new album coming out? I'm more open to considering it for this new album, but most likely I will not. I have found post-COVID, not that we're post-COVID, but I have found that after the last few years, uh, I'm much more selective. I need the engagement with live music like i need i need that to be in my life and so but i'm like a lot more picky and choosy about it so knowing that the killers would play a massive venue here and everything that goes into going to a massive show and the amount of how do i say this on a family-friendly podcast uh the amount of really annoying and frustrating people that go to uh very large shows (laughs) very well done (laughs) thank you appreciate it you know it would be it'd be a hard sell honestly but i'd love to see some of these songs live i really would did you keep any of that uh stuff that you had signed or anything you still got that Mm -hmm. yep i got it i got it filed away somewhere there's a little you know bumbershoot flyer with all four of their signatures on it yep well anything else about your history with the killers or pressure machine that you wanted to share that we haven't covered 
I mean, I was listening to Hot Fuss uh, while I was working before we got on the call. And it was a nice reminder of why and how they got where they got with that album. And Jimmy, you touched on it with the, the sheer talent. You know, I immediately was air guitaring to those bass lines, you know, because I started on bass before I switched to guitar. And man, there's just there's just each individual component of the killers. And I know this has not changed over their albums, even the ones I don't like, but each individual component is so tight and strong and exactly what it needs to be right there. Obviously Brandon flowers is, uh, has prowess of his own, but like each individual member and, and uh, specifically that whew, those baselines baseline. And Jenny was a friend of mine baseline. And, Oh my God. God, it, and somebody told me it it it's the difference between just generic pop, indie pop, whatever you want to call this type of music, and what the killers brought to the table. They write catchy songs, they write pop music, that's understood. But they always, always have managed to bring this extra element that is like truly engaging and like truly interesting and so i just wanted to touch on that before we end uh you know i i see that through line of multi-dimensional musicianship from the very beginning all the way to now and it's it's super cool i i am not surprised that y'all have started this up and have been talking about it for a year uh do you want to tell everybody again where they can find your stuff uh alan larson but Stage name Bridgewater, really good. Yep. He uh, definitely undersells his abilities. And uh, just uh, where can everybody find you? I know you got a podcast that's not exactly family friendly, but we can probably uh, link something or do something with that too, if you want. Or yep. what are you up to? Absolutely. Yep. I, uh, I I do a podcast with my friend and roommate Vanessa. It's just effing life, except effing is spelled out. Um, that is available Spotify, SoundCloud. Um, it's all about uh, recovery, um, grief, relationships. It's kind of a hodgepodge of whatever crazy stuff is happening in our two lives. Uh, so Vanessa and I've been doing that for the last I don't know year, year and a half or so. That's a lot of fun, um, but definitely not family friendly. Keep that in mind, anyone who wants to listen. And then yeah, for for music, you know these songs are old, but if you want to check it out, uh, it's on Bandcamp. You can search Bridgewater. Uh, you'll know me by the uh, awkward emo haircut that I have in my profile picture. Um, and then on Instagram, it's underscore Bridgewater music is the handle. So go there, check out the videos that I little snippets of cover songs and stuff that I posted over the years. Yeah, that's all I got. Have you ever covered a killer song? Ooh, I don't think so, actually. Although if I did, it would in, I, it would be glamorous indie rock and roll, hands down. That is like perhaps my all-time favorite killer song. Well, now I'm going to be expecting that when this podcast comes out, we're going to go to Instagram Live and uh, demand that. <laughs> yep, yep, sounds good. Yep, that's a deal. This has been Alan Under the Bridgewater, and that's another episode down from Lonely Town. <laughs>